Hello and welcome to the Agora, a podcast by Macropolis. My name is Nick Malkutsis. I'm the editor of Macropolis. For those of you who don't know us, it's an analysis service based in Athens. We've been around since 2013, trying to make sense of political, economic and social developments in Greece and trying to figure out the country's place in the bigger scheme of things, including European affairs and broader geopolitical matters. That's pretty much going to provide the content for these podcasts as well. They're an extension of the blog section we've been running on our site for the past seven years or so. It's a place where we, the Macropolis team, but also guests who are experts in their fields, have the opportunity to comment, analyze, and muse in a completely free environment. As you can probably guess, the name of the blog section and this podcast, the Agora, comes from the public space of the same name in ancient Athens. And the idea is to keep alive that long-standing spirit of informed discussion and intelligent debate in a relaxed atmosphere. This is the first of what we hope will be many shows. As such, it's bound to be a bit rough around the edges, but bear with us. I'm sure it will be worth it. As we move on over the coming weeks, we'll try to add elements to the show to improve the experience, but we always welcome your feedback as well. So let's get the first show underway. Joining me are the Macropolis co-founder, the macro in Macropolis, if you like, Yanis Mouzakis. Hi, Yanis. Hi, Nick. Yanis is joining us from uh, Cyprus. And uh, we also have our uh, features writer, Yeria Naku, who's in central Athens, pretty much. Hi, Yeria. Hi, Nick. Great. Thanks for joining us, guys. Um, now, uh, let's uh, have a quick uh, look at how the situation following the sort of COVID-19, the first uh, couple of months of that, have gone, what the situation is like, where you are. Uh, Yanis, let's start with you. You're in Cyprus and things have pretty much gone smoothly there, if I'm not mistaken. That's true. Uh, the, the situation here was pretty much similar to the way it unfolded in Greece. Uh, the government, as of last week, uh, announced a gradual relaxation of the um, lockdown measures that we had in place since the end of March. And the plan is uh, by the 21st of May to have uh, lifted all the restrictions of movement and from the 1st of June to be able to go to the beach. <laughs> yeah, that's the moment we're all waiting for, I guess. And actually, we, we have someone at the beach coming up in the show, but more of that in a minute. Georgia, uh, no beach in the center of Athens, but things looking pretty good. We're in the sort of second week of the easing of the, uh, or the, the second stage of the easing of the lockdown here in Greece. That's right, yes. Um Yes, I mean, things are already starting to pick up quite a bit here. Um, I'm in one of the um, trendy neighbourhoods of Athens, which a neighbour described to me earlier as an, one gigantic open-air bar. Um, <laughs> the bars aren't open yet. Um, we've got a couple of weeks to go, two or three weeks to go before they are scheduled to open again. But, um, you know, from, be from being absolutely deadly quiet, hearing birdsong, etc., um, you know, you're starting to get more 
foot traffic and car traffic. So it's, you know, it's, it's coming alive again. And there has been this thing going on with sort of lots of people gathering in uh, public squares, which is sort of the first sign of a sort of real pushback against the restrictions because, uh, and we've all been quite impressed with this and as have uh, people outside of Greece, that um, Greeks have generally abided uh, by the rules. And I think Yanis is probably the same in Cyprus, wasn't it? That's true. There were... Uh... No real issues in terms of compliance. Uh, I think people realize that it, it's worth biting the bullet at the start, so uh, you reap the rewards later on. And you, yeah, we. Th- this is really the first time, you know, after a few weeks that we've seen sort of p- people pushing back against the restrictions, which are being relaxed anyway. Um, yes, I mean, that's right. Up until now, you know, I had amassed a fine collection of anti-establishment, anarchist-type graffiti calling the lockdown repression, but that was it until a few days um, af- before they announced the, um, the easing of the lockdown. There are a couple of squares here locally um, where people started to gather and a couple of bars were doing what we started calling take and stay instead of take away. Um, <laughs> but um, it's highly localised, I'd say. Okay, well, I mean, one of the uh, benefits, uh, uh, as we sort of hinted at earlier, as, as the restrictions are being um, relaxed both here and in Cyprus, is that uh, people can return to one of their favourite pastimes, which is uh a walk along the sea or even a, a dip in the water. Uh, I mean, uh, organized beaches are still restricted off limits and they may re- remain so uh, throughout the summer. We'll see how that goes. But people are still allowed to go for a walk along the beach or go to uh, beaches that are not organized and maintaining social distancing, uh, have, a, have a swim or, or, or lie in the sand, especially as the weather now is getting uh, better. And... Um, we took the advantage of that and uh, sent our uh, producer, Phoebe Fronista, who will be joining us regularly on the shows, out to a beach in uh, southern Athens to do what we're going to call the walk and talk, which we'll hope uh, will be a, a regular feature of the podcast and sort of taps into the spirit of the Agora where people were out walking and discussing. And we're going to hear from her now and uh, see what she has to say from her uh, visit to the beach. So uh, here's... Phoebe. Hey Nick. Hi guys. So right now I'm walking by the beach in my neighborhood, Kalamaiti, small seaside suburb of Athens, after 42 days of lockdown. And you know all those think pieces that came out about social distancing that we're talking about? How will we ever get back to normal and hug and touch and look each other in the eye? turns out they didn't need to worry there's a bunch of people swimming in the sea sunbathing in groups there's gangs of kids riding bikes up and down the street the gyms are still closed so people are working out very close to each other in the park not wearing masks not social distancing it's almost like the coronavirus never happened and we're all just enjoying the spring to be honest It's kind of been that way, here at least, even before May 4th, when the restrictions on movement were lifted. 
It is a little worrying to me, this laxness. But it is also kind of understandable. Because COVID-19 hasn't touched our society the way it has in other countries. People abroad, they can't believe it. I've gotten messages from my old professor in California and an editor I had in London. And they're all asking, amazed, how did you Greeks manage to keep your numbers so low? I don't know if you guys agree, but I think it's a mix of lucky timing where we saw what was happening next door in Italy and we just so happened to have a government made up of just one political party for the first time in years. And they recognized that our health system was deeply weakened after almost a decade of financial crisis. But maybe most important of all the factors that have kept our cases so low is our reverence and our need for our elderly. So everybody took extreme care to not infect their parents and grandparents. Okay, guys, there was uh, Phoebe from the beach. Uh, hearing the sound of the waves, uh, I think that all made us a bit nostalgic, didn't it? Certainly did. <laughs> We're straight straight down the the beach after the the podcast, but um, Phoebe raised a, a few issues there, and obviously the first topic we're going to tackle in, in today's podcast is sort of the, the healthcare side of things with regards to the coronavirus, and then later on in the show we'll take a look at the economic impact, and that's something that we might expand on in uh, coming shows as well. Um, now, Phoebe raised a few issues there. I think the one that we can all agree on and has been commented on a lot by the uh, and covered a lot by the international media is that uh, Greece has obviously managed to um, suppress the virus and to limit the number of deaths. And one of the things we want to have uh, a first look at is how that's been um, achieved. Uh, now, you're, yeah, you, you've been looking that, at that in uh, recent weeks. And uh, before we start, I want to play a clip from an uh, interview the Greek Prime Minister, Kyriakos Metsotakis, gave, uh, I think it was the beginning of April, to uh, Christian Amanpour on uh, PBS. And there he spoke about the vulnerability of the health system, and I think that's a good starting point for our discussion. So uh, before we launch into it, let's have a quick listen of what uh, the Prime Minister had to say a few weeks ago. Uh, but our healthcare system um, is coping relatively well, and I should point out that this is a health, uh, public health care system that was battered after 10 years uh, of, uh, of, of austerity. So we were painfully aware of the fact that we... Uh, were at bigger risk compared to other European countries, seeing our healthcare system uh, being overwhelmed. This has not happened up to now, and we hope it's not going to happen. So, yeah, yeah there was uh, Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis explaining, I think, probably what was the essential factor in his and the government's decision to lock down early and to uh, nip the coronavirus in the bud because of the, the, the weakness of the Greek public health care system. And he hinted there after years of uh, austerity under the three bailout programs. Could you give us a bit more detail on just what uh, weak state the public health care system was? Certainly. Um, so, yes, I mean, he has a point about the um, the bailout programme and the austerity and the impact of that on the healthcare system. 
Greece has had a public healthcare system since the 1980s. When the bailout happened, or immediately prior to the bailout, it was spending about 9.5% of GDP on healthcare. Um, that's a combination of public spending and private spending. But that, that's about the European average. In 2017, it was spending about 8%. So that's quite a lot below uh, what the average European country spends. In cash terms, that's a third less than it was spending at the peak. So we're talking about quite a substantial reduction in spending. And, and that, that obviously had a, a discernible impact on the, on, on the system. Um, it did. I mean, in addition to the spending cuts, there were um, quite strict limits put on public sector hiring in general, which included hospitals. Over the last five years, for which we have figures, um, for every 10 people that left the health service, eight people joined. So there's been a sort of a gradual attrition and an ageing of the, the healthcare sector. And that's not... Um, but there are certain anomalies in there as well that are perhaps worth mentioning. Um, one is that uh, despite the brain drain that has taken educated people out of Greece to work in primarily other parts of Europe, Greece still has about twice as many doctors as the European average per head of population. However, most of them don't work in the public sector, and a lot of them are specialists. We also have the lowest number of nurses per head of population. Uh, and so there are certain imbalances that are not strictly due to austerity, but due to weaknesses in planning around healthcare over the years. And of course, w one of the first moves the government made after uh, imposing this early lockdown was to try and uh, hire some uh, extra staff in the public health system, which, who thankfully weren't needed for uh, the, the emergency purposes in the end. That's right, not yet. But um, I think it's worth mentioning that despite weathering this first, first wave of infection, the government plan is still proceeding to both increase the number of um, ICU beds which are needed for treatment of um, COVID-19, and also up their staffing levels um, to um, to staff those beds. Yanis, if I can also bring you in on the point with regards to public expenditure and how uh, the the health uh, system did suffer as a result. I mean, we've we've discussed it many times and we've highlighted it in blog posts. Uh, over the years, that at one stage under you know Greece's three bailout programs, the IMF, which was one of the main drivers of the idea of cutting back on public spending, came out and said, "You're down to the bare bones. Don't cut public spending any further on basic services." That's true. That's true, and this is why the the IMF was promoting the idea of implementing structure, fiscal structural reforms on the pension system that would relieve uh, the spending budget and be able to redirect it towards other areas that additional spending is required, such as the, the, the health system. Uh, and that's a good point to kind of discuss a little bit about the, the sort of political context around the, the healthcare 
system year a year. What what have we seen? You know, what's the, what's the discussion going on there at the moment it, it, with regards to the the future of the system and to what extent has um, what's happened or in some way what's not happened at least so far in Greece in terms of having a crisis? How, how has that affected? how this government, the centre-right government, views the public health system uh, going forward? When um, the current government, the Nedemokratia government, uh, was campaigning for elections last summer, their agenda on healthcare was um, was around bringing in more public-private partnerships, merging hospitals, uh, bringing in smarter healthcare and so on, which the opposition interpreted as, you know, cutting budgets and privatizing healthcare. Obviously, those are sort of two extreme positions. In, in practice, um, they, when they came in, they actually said that they would respect the, pre, the Syriza government's hiring program into healthcare. So Syriza had announced um, last year that they were going to hire 10,000 new healthcare staff over the next five years. And Nea Democratia said, yes, we will continue with that. And, you know, with slight delays here and there, they were already doing that before the COVID-19 issue arose. They've since announced that they're going to be making a lot more hires. Um, Most of them are on temporary contracts. They're two-year contracts, I believe. Um, for which, again, they've been criticised by Syriza and they have subsequently promised to make them permanent as and when they can. They, In terms of the pandemic-specific measures, they're also um, substantially increasing um, ICU capacity, which is where the crush happens um, with a pandemic. So they have managed to quadruple the number of ICU beds specifically dedicated to COVID, um, and they're upping the number of ICU beds generally, uh, and they pledged to um, bring uh, their capacity up to at or above the European average. Um, And looking back to where they were before this struck, uh, they, they had less than half the European average in terms of ICU beds per head of population. So that's quite a significant acceleration. So, so, so in essence, I mean, we could have a, a double benefit if, as you point rightly pointed out earlier, you know, this is the first wave of uh, the coronavirus and we don't know what lies ahead. But if Greece is able to sort of ride out the storm over the coming months or, you know, maybe even talking about a couple of years or so, uh, it could emerge the other side with a stronger public health system as well, which would be obviously a huge, huge bonus from this. Yes, up to a point. I think certainly the country would be more pandemic pandemic ready. I'm not sure whether that translates into a stronger all-purpose healthcare system. So, for instance, some of the areas where um, analysts point out that the Greek healthcare system lacks are um, primary care. So, you know, making sure that everyone has a family doctor, a general practitioner as an entry point to the healthcare system. That's very patchy still. 
a lot of that was in the process of reform going and and a lot of it was mandated by uh, the economic adjustment program um things like you know regional coverage um the health system is very athens focused a lot of the regions and the islands are not as well catered for so those issues are not def- definitively addressed by the current program but it's certainly a step in the right direction fair enough um so yanis i think that we could all safely say and we can all agree that if you're the greek prime minister and you hear that the coronavirus is on the way and it's done what it's done in china and italy and it's starting to do it in other places uh and you're aware of the weaknesses of the greek public health system the early lockdown is uh the only logical responsible move you could you can really make I, i'm not i'm not saying that it's granted that it would have happened but that really is the best choice on the table isn't it so oh yeah without a doubt because we we have to consider that we were lucky and we got our cases towards the end of uh, february with uh, a lot of available data and the situation unfolding in uh, in italy and then in spain and by the time we closed the schools i think it was around the 10th of march uh, pretty much the whole of europe was going in a in a lockdown mode i think uh, spain had also decided to close uh, the schools and had said uh, madrid in uh, in re- restrictions the football world stopped remember the champions league games stopped uh, the the premiership stopped so i think no no just just to interject not that that was any concern to uh, greek teams who'd been long, long knocked out no <laughs> <laughs> no olympiakos actually was still in the europa league they actually played a, a game against wolves uh, behind closed doors but at That's at, right, yeah. at the time uh, i think it was obvious that the sensible thing to do it was to follow that blueprint and the UK and the US that did not follow that blueprint, we've seen that they paid a, a heavy price. So when you see uh, the situation around you, the, the, the measures taken around Europe, and with the concern and the fear that if anything happens, uh, like that happens in Greece, we're going to be under severe pressure as the health system and even potentially the, the wider public sector, because that's also an aspect that often is a concern that it, under pressure, it cannot deliver. And sometimes it cannot even deliver in the best of situations. So overall, I think it was um, the, the, the sensible thing to do. Yeah, yeah you've, you've been looking a lot at sort of the lockdown measures, the timing and so on. What's your take on it? Um, yes, I think, you know, as Yanis correctly noted, um, Greece went into lockdown, proper full lockdown, pretty much the same time as sort of most of most of Europe, with the exception of the countries that had been first affected and the, and the maverick countries like the UK and the US. Maverick's a, a polite way of putting it probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, the UK is my other reference point because I, I spend a lot of time there. And I remember being absolutely horrified um, that, you know, while we were closing the schools here, they were holding Cheltenham Festival. Two days prior to that, the Prime Minister had been at a rugby match. 
and, and now I think it's generally accepted that a number of the Champions League games were responsible for really uh, sort of super spreading the, the disease. That's right. I mean, you know, luckily in Greece, we're in the fortunate position that closed door games are the norm. So, you know, yeah. it's quite hard to adapt to the new norm. Um, okay, so so we've got the picture here that uh, about how how poor a shape the public health system was in, that this really uh, was the main uh, decision-making factor when uh, the prime minister decided for an early lockdown and one which until now has been been proved to be the right decision and was successful in limiting the number of deaths. I mean, we're around 150 as we're recording, and that's generally accepted to 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 be a low uh, toll for uh, uh, you know European Union uh, country. Um, but you know, look, looking forward, what, what are the things that we have to watch out for over the next few weeks and months, uh, year year? Um, well, I mean, I think we we touched on the preparations that are still underway for the healthcare system. So I think, you know, it seems pretty clear to me that the government intends to press on just to make sure that the healthcare system is ready to deal with a second wave. Um, I think elements that um, we should perhaps keep an eye out for are um, as we uh, start to ease the lockdown, testing is going to become a more crucial element being able to make sure that um, we we are able to still assess the, the spread of the virus in the population in case, as they've pointed out, we need to go back into some form of lockdown sometime along the way. Testing rates have been quite low in Greece. I mean, they, they've been some of the lowest in Europe. And I think that's partly genuinely due to the fact that the spread was very limited. So contact tracing, contact tracing was never halted here it continued throughout but um, you know they, they need to certainly be able to test more extensively and um, that that is definitely something that we we need to be aware of the the other elements are obviously more around the public's behavior because I think Going in and out of lockdown or going into a different phase of lockdown is a completely different exercise from saying stay at home. The messaging becomes more complicated as a lot of countries are finding out. And that's where sort of ensuring public compliance becomes a lot more challenging. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that. Uh, yeah, uh, no, it's. It's a good point, and you know the the I think that's in the same in a recent interview with. Uh, CNN, and we'll be hearing a clip from that, of course, about the economy. But uh, the the prime minister um, was uh, talking about sort of en- entering uncharted territory. No one really knows how this will go, and we're already seeing that in other countries uh, like uh, Germany, even which seems to be very on top of things. So that's something that we'll have to follow, and I think we'll probably end up uh, coming back to discuss that in the weeks ahead. So thanks, guys, for your input on uh, on the public health care issue. We'll take a very short break now, and we'll come back to discuss the impact of the coronavirus on the Greek economy, which actually is probably a grimmer picture than we've had in terms of uh, public health. So we'll be back in a few seconds. Thank you. 
listening to the Agora Podcast by Macropolis. You can find us on Acast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the time being. We'll soon be available in more places. In the meantime, please do subscribe, rate us, and send us your comments. You can also visit our website, www.macropolis.gr, for more information about our work. That's Macropolis with a C. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome back for the second half of the show. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be discussing what kind of impact COVID-19 is having on the Greek economy. And there the picture is a little more worrying than it has been on the uh, public health front. Uh, so we're going to uh, enter the discussion with uh, Yanis Mouzakis, the co-founder of uh, Macropolis. Now, Yanis, most of the forecasts for the Greek economy are pretty grim. And we've got a clip here of uh, the Prime Minister from an interview he did a few days ago with uh, Nick Robertson of C- CNN discussing just how bad it might be uh, this year. So let, let's listen to that first and then we can uh, discuss that, okay? Yeah. It's going to be very different. Uh, I don't want to give you a big range, but it's going to be much worse if we don't open up at all for the summer. You have to. Uh, um, uh, if we manage to, to get some tourists, it's going to be, uh, it, it's going to be uh, better. But, you know, all uh, it's around 10% seems to be a consensus uh, amongst most uh, uh, European countries uh, uh, as what, what, what could happen, which is a massive contraction. Okay, Yanis, we have the, the Prime Minister there saying... 10%. Give us an idea of what uh, the sort of major organizations, IMF, European Commission are saying, and then we can have a look at what the Greek government is predicting for this year as well. Yeah, they agree with the Greek prime minister. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, but they, the IMF was the first one to come out a few weeks ago as part of the World Economic Outlook, and uh, their forecast was at 10%. And the commission also came last week in the spring forecasts, and uh, they they see Greece as the most impacted country in the European Union with a contraction of 9.7%. That said, the the rebound next year for 2021 is also expected to be quite strong, the strongest in the EU was 7.9%. But uh, without a doubt, the, the, the measures that were taken to contain the health aspect of the crisis, which was done very successfully, required some sacrifices. Uh, one of the first organizations that came out with uh, some of the output estimates of the lockdowns was OECD. Um, and, they, and, and Greece, again, was uh, the, the country most uh, affected by the lockdown measures with a 30% drop in output, uh, exactly for the reason of uh, the services dependent economy on, on tourism and many small and medium enterprises who are very you know, vulnerable in these kind of um, situations. That said, uh, the government last week sent a stability program to the European Commission, and their estimate is roughly half of that, around 4.7% in the baseline scenario, and an adverse scenario of uh, 7.9%. What what's the key uh, driver in the in the difference between the, these forecasts? I mean, at one end of the scale, we've got sort of close to ten percent, and then you've got the Greek government saying that 
you know, if 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 things go decently, it will be around five percent. Yeah. Well, the let's say for the European Commission that has provided uh, most of the contributions data, they anticipate a large impact on uh, private consumption, which is about seven tenths of Greek GDP. They expect it to drop by nine percent, which takes us roughly back to where we were in the 2011 depth of the debt crisis. And also uh, a sharp drop of about 30% in investment spending, specifically about the equipment spending from companies is seen down 32%, primarily due to the uncertainty of the situation. Similar estimates of the of the Greek authorities is 4.1 drop in uh, private consumption and 4.6% in uh, investment spending. Overall, there's a general agreement around 19-20% on the exports of goods and services. And this is where the, the, the discrepancy comes between the local and estimates and those of the international organizations. But it, it's safe to say that, you know, the international environment means anyway that uh, investment is is going to drop um, and uh, it's no it's no surprise that we're, we're hearing those kinds of numbers in, in the forecast. But there are – what are the, the key uh, components will be which will be affected by the situation we've seen? And it's not only the lockdown. It's obviously going forward – you know, the, the turmoil that this has clo- caused in the European and glo- global economy. Yeah, I mean, this has, the situation has created a, a huge element of uncertainty. There's you know, uncertainty about how things would play out this year. There's uncertainty about the potential second wave in autumn. Uh, everyone who's serious and is talking about the subject, they say that we won't be able to have some clarity of the situation uh, until there's a vaccine in place, and most realistically, some that's going to be available next spring or summer at best. So all these factors need to be removed before businesses decide to you know, hire more people, buy a new piece of machinery, uh, go to a new plant, or foreign direct investment will come back to Greece into the property market. So... There's, there's a few pieces that need to fall into place before we go to the situation that we had, say, in the end, even the 2019 or even the start of this year, when we could potentially be going for a you know, 2.5%, 2.8% um, economic growth. And that's one of the sort of real uh, tragedies for for Greece in in this, and obviously we're talking uh, tragedy in economic sense. You know, human lives have been saved, but uh, there was a, a slow but gradual momentum building after Greece exited its third and final uh, bailout program a few years ago. Growth had returned, and as you mentioned there, you know, this government was uh, the, the centre right New Democracy government was looking to try and boost investments through lower taxes, more uh, business friendly approach. Uh, let's say, but that kind of that momentum has dissipated. It's been it's been lost now. Yeah, I mean, the the year started uh, brilliantly. We had uh, a credit rating upgrade. Greece issued a 15-year bond for 
about 2 billion euros they received, if not mistaken, 18 billion in offers. Uh, the yield was below 2%. Uh, as you said, there was a little bit of a momentum building also because of the improved sentiment in the market that the new government would be a little bit more uh, business friendly. Uh, they would pursue a more reformist agenda with lower taxes uh, that would stimulate investment and foreign direct investment. Now, with, without a doubt, the, they, they will have to deal with a, a full-blown economic crisis in their hands. And looking at the elements of the economic crisis and you know the components which will be hurt worst by this, obviously there's uh, two key industries, if you like, that are very important to the Greek economy, shipping and tourism but also consumption, which is uh, an important part of, uh, uh, you know, making the, the wheels go round in Greece. Yeah, because consumption over the last years has been gradu- gradually, there was no spectacular growth. It was around 1%. But that was the outcome of employment rising and more disposable income in the economy. Now, there are like the, the growth forecast, there are various estimates about where the unemployment rate might settle. But even if it is, say, the 20%, 21% that's estimated by the government and the European Commission, or more dour estimates of 26 27% that, for instance, the, the Greece's industrialists have been uh, forecasting, without a doubt, that's going to impact the spending power of uh, households and the, as a result, the um, private consumption in the GDP component. Okay, let's let's have a look at tourism because this is foremost, I think, in the government's mind at the moment. And uh, let, let's bring Yorgia in on this as well. Yorgia, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of discussion about Greece trying to rescue the tourism season, and for obvious reasons, depending on which study you look at and what measurements are taking, tourism is responsible for anywhere between 10 and roughly 30% of the Greek economy if you're measuring direct and indirect impact. Um, what are your thoughts on on the discussion that's currently um in play about trying to rescue some of the tourism season from July onwards, 1st of July onwards. That's when Greece wants to be open for business, as it were. Um, yes, I mean, the, the government has certainly um, made it clear that it's going to try its best to uh, reopen the country to tourism, even though it acknowledges that that is not entirely dependent on their actions, but it depends on for instance, people's ability to travel. So at the moment, the government is still working on its plan, but it clearly will need to involve several elements, one of which is hygiene protocols around travel. And, you know, there have been certain discussions about safe corridors between countries that have managed to keep infection rates low, um, the so-called bubbles. The bubbles, yeah. It depends on which countries are, t- <laughs> are discussing it. But Greece is one of, I think, eight countries in a sort of informal forum that are in discussion, sharing knowledge and trying to come up with ways that might make this work. 
um, it has to be said that I think the healthcare experts are a lot more skeptical about the ability to control the spread of infection once you reopen international travel. Um, but there are other elements that are being looked at, including um, subsidizing internal tourism. Um, and um, I, I, I've been banging on about this for, for weeks to Yanis, pay us all to go on holiday. It's, it's you know, a win-win situation. That's right. Well, I mean, so, I, I have friends who work in the public sector and they've had these schemes going for years where they, you know, they will subsidize you if you travel to a particular hard to reach or unpopular destination in Greece. So, you know, I'm happy to happy to comply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, we will. Yanis, uh, uh, obviously, Yuri makes the point there that you know Greece, uh, and as I said before, it's it's totally understandable is this making this effort through the international media and through political contacts to say, look, we've controlled the coronavirus really well, low number of deaths, the the virus is fading out in Greece. We're ready to welcome people as of from abroad as of. July the 1st, but it's clearly dependent on a lot of factors. And the first one is if people will actually come. And there the picture doesn't look that great, to be honest. Yeah, I can see the the economic side of the, of the argument. When uh, tourism brings more than 18 billion annually in receipts, and that's direct receipts. Uh, as you said, if you look then at the direct impact of the economy and some of the other estimates that see it employing more than 700,000 people, it, it does make sense to, to try and stimulate that sector to the extent that's possible. But like Georgia said, first of all, uh, we have to remember that air connections need to be reestablished. And this is not something that can happen quickly and easily. Uh, there was a, a study recently that uh, European airliners need 80% uh, occupancy capacity to break even on their flights. Uh, 80%? 8-0? 8-0, yes. Uh, automatically, if you ask them to lose the middle row in uh, every seat, that's a third of the plane out of the question already. Then at the same time, you have authorities in different countries in Europe who are uh, you know, leading markets for Greece, like Germany or Scandinavian countries, that are promoting stay-at-home, get-to-know-your-country uh, summer this year. So there, there's a lot of things that are outside of our control. And at the same time, there's the health consideration. We saw how quickly these things spread because of travel. Are we willing, having paid such a severe economic price already to potentially import back the problem if certain conditions are not met. And one thing that we need to consider and that what hotel owners are saying is that hotels are meant to be uh, for recreation. If you're going to have to operate them as hospitals, uh, the, mm. the purpose is to feed them. Make them very sanitary. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So uh, there, are, there are numerous challenges to to get the season back to anything that resembles uh, normality. 
I, I think that we're probably going to end up having sort of a, a specific show dedicated to, to tourism in, in the coming weeks. But you're, yeah, just to come back to you on one point, I mean, we've been looking at some of these things, the measures that are being kicked around. And it does seem that, first of all, you know, obviously, you know, the emphasis is on making it safe, which is uh, absolutely correct and un- understandable. But it does seem that the kind of demands that it will be made of hoteliers will probably put a lot of people out of the game because there's a lot of cost and effort uh, involved. And secondly, I think it's the point that Yanis makes is, in the end, will these be environments where you can really relax and enjoy yourself? Yes, I mean, you know, I think I've read that that something like two-thirds of hoteliers don't plan to open this summer. And I think part of the reason is that they look at the kind of measures that are being discussed and they're quite onerous. They would make operating very expensive. Um, So understandably, people are reluctant to commit to that without being guaranteed customers. Um, Yeah, I understand (laughs) And I mean, you know, with Yanis, we've spoken to a few people in the hotel industry, and this is very much what you get back is that in the end, it's it's too much of a risk to open because I have to go through a lot of expense and effort. And if people don't turn up, uh, I'm further in the red than when I started. So maybe I'll just cut my losses and, and remain closed for the year. That's right. And, and again, you know, as a potential customer – what seems to be on offer doesn't sound to me like a good holiday. It doesn't sound like a good time, unless you're no, in no. a dystopian cosplay type event. No, uh, <laughs> no it's, it's plexiglass at the beach. At the beach doesn't really uh, spell good times, does it? No, no, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as I say, we'll, we'll probably end up coming back to the tourism issue, Yanis. Uh, one thing to look at before we close, and uh, I, I guess, you know, we mentioned there that a lot of uh, businesses in the tourism industry may end up staying closed uh, throughout the year rather than take the risk of opening in the summer. Um, and one of the things that the government has to think about is not only how it's going to support them, but also whether it can uh, provide assistance to other businesses and other sectors that are either going to struggle or or close down and therefore leave a lot of people out of work uh, over the coming months. But the problem the government has is that finances are very, very uh, limited. Yeah, that's true. And the the initial response to the crisis was the right thing to do. It was basically covering around 70% of the private sector, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, 1.7 million uh, salaried employees, around 700,000 freelancers and uh, self-employed. About 6% of the businesses were covered by support. But the the situation, the economy is closely linked to what's going to happen on the the budget and how much money is available to meet all those demands for support uh, over the coming months. And one topic that doesn't come up very often is that, you know, we have the airlines potentially that we have to support. And this has been a significant cost for other countries that had to take similar measures. So uh, the resources are limited. Uh, the, the budget will 
will suffer, of course, this year and to a lesser extent next year. Uh, the, the deficit could be between 6 and 9%. And thankfully, there's this cash buffer that the, the government plans to use some of it and will issue new debt around $8 billion to keep replenishing it. Uh, there's the, the SURE program from the European Commission that um, to, support to support employment. Support employment. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have committed quite a few funds in, in way of guarantees so banks can provide uh, working capital for firms. But there's, uh, everything needs to be done in a, in a sensible way because for sure can, uh, the, the, the budget cannot support every single request for um, for a system. Yeah, absolutely. So again, I think that's something that we'll come back to in the coming weeks, take a closer look at uh, the economy and the fiscal side of things. Um, and since we're speaking about the economy, just to let you know that uh, on our YouTube channel, we do have a video up. It's about three minutes, just giving a basic overview of uh what uh, the impact of COVID-19 on the Greek economy is likely to be. Uh, you can also see it on our website, www.macropolis.gr, if you go to the Agora section, which, of course, is the name of this podcast as well. Um, and I think with it, uh, I'll just do uh, the rounding off, just to remind you that you can find us on ACAST. That's where our podcast uh, lives, but it's also available on Spotify, Apple, and Google, and all these uh, wonderful uh, places. And of course, as I mentioned before, you can visit our website and listen to the podcast uh, there. We'll be back soon with another episode and more guests. I just want to thank uh, Yanis and uh, Yeria. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yes. Uh, And, of course, thanks to uh, Phoebe, who was doing the walk and talk and, uh, of course, producing the show. We'll hear more from her in the future. And uh, we'll leave you with a blast of our uh, theme tune. It's a track called Straight Line Blues from a wonderful Greek band called The Burgundy Grapes. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.